Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. My name is Ben Weibel, WI Farms in Sherman, Texas, and you're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I've got another episode of Texas Ag Today loaded up and ready to roll for you. All you got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, cotton harvest is getting started in the southern Texas panhandle. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's a happy note from the Texas High Plains. The early reviews for our winter wheat are pretty encouraging. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. The State Fair of Texas is winding down in Dallas, but there is still plenty to do, including attending the rodeo and learning more at educational venues such as the Livestock Birthing Barn. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have more on Texas Ag Today. A group of Texas farmers and ranchers recently toured farms in the United Kingdom as part of a global ag education trip. One of the stops was an Angus farm in Scotland, in an area where the Aberdeen Angus breed originated. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Cotton harvest just getting underway now in the southern Texas panhandle. Kevin Huddleston is a cotton buyer in Memphis, Texas. He says some cotton there is already on the way to the gin. We're looking at a lot of these irrigated fields that have been sprayed, that we've got some round bales on the way to the gin point right now. We feel like that our yield is still off on the irrigated. Uh, The 105-degree days in August with 25 mile an hour wind out of the southwest, that really, really, really hurt us from a three-week standpoint there. We did get some beneficial rains in September. We just don't know how beneficial they were because we were watering a plant that was probably already under too much stress. Statewide, 37% of the Texas cotton crop has now been harvested. The condition of the crop continues to deteriorate. Only 11% of the cotton crop rated good to excellent, 24% rated fair, and a big 65% of the Texas cotton crop left in the field is rated poor to very poor. A Texas university has been awarded nearly $200,000 to enhance crop farming using drones. 
The University of Texas at Tyler was selected by the U.S. Department of Agriculture to receive $191,000 to enhance drones-based frameworks for imagery and crop monitoring on large farms. The university will collaborate with researchers at USDA's Agricultural Research Service Crop Production Systems Unit in Mississippi to add agricultural intelligence to drones to differentiate between row crops and to separate them from broadleaf weeds and grasses. Researchers will also explore the potential application for prescription-based herbicide spraying. If successful, the university says this research will allow farmers to use drones as autonomous surveillance to detect weeds in large fields, saving time and money. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. A federal lawsuit in Kansas challenging a recent action by the Biden administration on the Lesser Prairie Chicken has been transferred to a federal court here in Texas. Back in March, the Permian Basin Petroleum Association, Texas Cattle Organizations, and the state of Texas all filed separate lawsuits in Texas courts challenging the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's endangered species list designation of the Lesser Prairie Chicken. Moving the case to Texas is expected to result in consistent rulings on the three similar cases. The Biden administration finalized a rule back on November 25th of last year extending Endangered Species Act protection to what was the threatened northern district of the bird. The outlook for winter wheat on the Texas High Plains looks good. James Hunt says early reviews for the crop are encouraging. Over the past couple of days, we've been hearing local agronomist Russell French talking about what has turned out to be a kind of disappointing year for our summer crops in the Texas High Plains. Today, we get to go with a much happier tone as we focus on newly planted winter wheat. Wheat is off to the best start I've seen in in years up here. You know, we had some good rains back in September. Uh, Generally, we got great stands everywhere. Uh, I'm not seeing any disease or insect issues right now. And French says it looks like a lot of wheat is being planted this season, with local demand for forage being just one of the motivations for producers to grow it. Wheat doesn't take a lot of inputs, you know, it's uh, compared to other crops, so that's attractive to growers, a little lower risk. It doesn't take a lot of water. It's a good dryland crop for this area. But you'll see in this area the demand for feed from our livestock industry Most of the irrigated wheat is going to be harvested for silage probably next spring. And then the dryland wheat will probably be harvested for grain generally. And French believes we'll continue to see more acres going to wheat in the years to come, especially in the panhandle. I think it's going to become a more viable crop in a rotation up here with our declining water. It's just easier to manage, say, instead of half corn and half cotton, which has been a common rotation for the last 30 years, you're going to see more half corn or sorghum and half wheat. And here's a special reason to celebrate having more wheat acres this season. Hopefully that'll make us not have all the dirt in the air this winter. That's what everybody's excited about is we'll get this ground covered and prevent this wind erosion. It's been pretty bad the last couple of years. That's Russell French, the owner of French Agronomics in Amarillo. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The State Fair of Texas is in its final days. Tom Nicoletti has the story. From Dallas, Carissa Condoyanis joins me today. She is the Senior Vice President of Public Relations for the State Fair of Texas. Now, the State Fair is running through October 22nd, and uh, certainly a lot more activity going on across the fairgrounds, uh, such as at the Livestock Birthing Barn. 
That's right. We have the Livestock Birthing Barn, which is a unique educational experience where you can learn more about the incubation and birthing process of various livestock and farm animals. And we have Livestock 101, where you can come see experts who share their knowledge about animals in the barns. It's kind of a daily talk show style presentation, and it's tailor-made for animals that day that they can experience as fairgoers walk through the livestock barns. In addition, we have Big Texas Discovery Farm, which is located on the other side of the grounds from livestock to really push people from livestock out into the fair as well. It's over by the Linhart Lagoon, and it helps to showcase how agriculture impacts our daily lives. Not only city folk coming to the fair and people from outside of the city. So this is a way to really just introduce how agriculture is touching our everyday life. Now, in addition, we have the State Fair of Texas Rodeo, and we're going to wrap up this fair with the UPRA World Finals. And all of this that I just mentioned is included with your admission to the State Fair of Texas. So once you're in the gates, there are hundreds of things you can do out here every single day, including all of these fun animal experiences. Back in 1886, 137 years ago, the fair was founded as a livestock exposition, something that we all hold near and dear to our hearts. And we know that it is part of our job is to ensure that we inform people on Texas agriculture. That is Carissa Condoyanis. She is with the State Fair of Texas in Dallas. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A group of Texas farmers and ranchers recently toured farms in the United Kingdom as part of a global ag education trip. Gary Joyner was on that trip. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'm in Perishare, Scotland, with a uh, owner and uh, operator of a pedigree Angus farm here. Tell us about your operation and, and its history. So we're a 99-year-old Aberdeen Angus herd, and I'm fifth generation here, and I've worked alongside my granddad and my father before that. We have 250 pedigree Angus cows, uh, genetics that go all over the world um, from uh, that we've brought in from America, Australia, New Zealand, and everywhere. I was going to ask, uh, your relationship with any United States customers? Uh, yes, so I've worked in America myself. Uh, I've worked on fitting crews and fitting teams uh, for Rainbow Cattle Service, and I even worked on an Angus herd in Nebraska called uh, Herbster Angus. What is the difference between the animals we saw today than maybe some of the Angus uh, animals we would see in Texas? I would say... Um, the size difference. Uh, I think the cattle in America are very more moderate compared to what they are here in the UK. Even for ourselves, having a more moderate-based herd, um, I think America is still just another frame score smaller than than what we are here. Um, in general, in the UK, they were very much different from general UK farmers, but um, a lot more capacity and depth from the cattle in Texas um, than there would standardly be in the in the UK. But here at our farm, obviously, we. We like the capacity and the depth on the cattle in the more moderate frames. I understand you have a trip maybe to Austin coming up uh, to a cattle congress? Yes, uh, well my father will be going to Cattlemen's Congress um, to and, and for uh, New Year in Austin. Uh, I shall be at home doing the work as we are in the middle of calving. <laughs> While he's away, you're yeah. working? Pretty much. He likes to bugger off half the year and I stay home and do the work. But don't worry, I, I, I bugger off just as much too. I'm going to Australia next year actually for a um, a, a, a beef event called Rockhampton Beef Week, which is the biggest beef event in the Southern Hemisphere, um, which is held in Rockhampton, Australia. Some of your challenges uh, here in the UK and in the European market right now, what are some of those things that y'all are having to manage and, and deal with? 
Uh, well, Brexit is probably the biggest one that we have to deal with and the exports and imports uh, of live cattle have been a real struggle along with uh, your typical social media and uh, everybody thinking about the greenhouse gases and emissions um, and that all farmers are trying to kill them really. Um, but we're battling that and um, in the best ways we can is getting the markets that we, we can supply to and, and keep building on that really. I'm Gary Joyner in Scotland with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A significant decline in light geese numbers in Texas has the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department considering whether or not the light goose conservation order should stay in place. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And corticosteroids have been the major drug used in equine joints for 50 years. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy neighbors, Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. This is State Representative Dwayne Burns, and I'm here with my friend, Super Bowl champ, and Dallas Cowboy legend, Jay Novacek. You know, I've been a real cowboy my whole life, so I'm asking everyone to go out and vote for Proposition 1, the Right to Farm Amendment that this guy, Dwayne Burns, actually wrote. Whether you're a cowboy or not, this is important to all Texans. We all need access to safe and affordable food in the future. Proposition 1 protects our family farms and ranches, so so they can grow our food right here in Texas. On November 7th, please head to the polls and vote for Proposition 1, the Food for Texas Amendment. Yeah, come on, Texas. Let's do it Jay's way. Vote for Prop 1 and then spread the word with your friends and family. Learn more about Proposition 1 at right2farmtexas.com. That's right, the number 2, farmtexas.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Corticosteroids have been the major drug used in equine joints for 50 years. But Dr. Bob Judd says there are now some other options. Dr. Florent David indicates in the horse publication that corticosteroids are cost-effective, potent anti-inflammatories. However, some susceptible horses can develop laminitis even with cortisone injections in the joint and cortisone could mask pain and allow the horse to load the affected joint more than normal, leading to a fracture. I talked about polyacrylamide gel recently on the program, and this is a medication that is used as a filler in human facial surgery that has been injected in equine joints and integrates into the joint capsule, decreasing pain. The two options available on the market are Naltrex and Arthromed, and these products are supposed to decrease pain in three to four weeks and are supposed to last much longer than cortisone. Regenerative medicine is also available for joints such as platelet-rich plasma, interleukin-1 receptor agonist protein, or IRAP. IRAP specifically blocks the receptor for major anti-inflammatory protein in the joint, which is interleukin-1. Biological agents such as platelet-rich plasma, autologous condition serum, and autologous protein solutions have been shown to support healing rather than simply reduce inflammation. 
Stem cell therapies are also available, and stem cells can be taken from the horse's own bone marrow, from an umbilical cord of a newborn foal, or fetal membranes collected after birth. Dr. David reserves regenerative therapy for mild disease, as this therapy actually targets the disease itself rather than just reducing inflammation like corticosteroids. Regenerative treatments require multiple injections and can cost up to two to three thousand dollars for the full injection series, just for the cost of the drug. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A significant decline in light geese numbers here in Texas has the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department considering whether or not the light goose conservation order should stay in place. Jessica Nomal takes a look at the issue in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is considering the future of light goose management in Texas, and that may mean the removal of the light goose conservation order at some point. TPWD initially proposed removing the order late last year, but pulled the proposal early this year to give TPWD staff and its committees more time to consider the proposed action. Kevin Cry, TPWD's waterfowl program leader, joins us with more. We're definitely thinking about the future of light goose management for a lot of different reasons, but primarily, yes, the overall population of light geese has declined substantially. The light goose conservation order is not a hunting season. It's a management action that was enacted decades ago to allow hunters more opportunities to hunt light geese. At the time, it was believed that an overabundance of light geese at staging areas and breeding grounds in Manitoba would lead to an ecological collapse. But things have changed in the decades since the order was first implemented in Texas. Light goose populations in Texas are down significantly, and we now know more about the carrying capacity of the breeding grounds in Canada. You know, looking back at how many birds we used to have, how many hunters we used to have, and how much harvest we used to have, it's just a sad story. Obviously, there's a lot going on with why snow geese are deciding not to come to Texas or at least stay. We're dealing with habitat loss. You know, we're dealing with changes in agriculture. We're dealing with land conversion. There's all kinds of things going on. But one of those things, unquestionably, is the increased pressure that we brought on with that management, you know, now 25 years ago when it began. You know, there's an increase in harvest pressure. You know, wherever they're being pressured that hard, they're just going to leave. And so one of the things we are considering is, is getting input from public over the next month or so and then going back to our staff and advisory committees with some potential recommendations for our commission. In Texas, the light goose conservation order allows additional hunting opportunities in the west zone from February 5th to March 10th and in the east zone from January 29th to March 10th. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's time to check the markets. We'll be back with a look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas has lost over 2 million acres of agricultural land in the last 25 years. That's a threat to family farms, our economy, and our food supply. That's right, and there's a huge digital divide in our state. There are still large parts of rural Texas that have little to no access to high-speed internet. I'm State Representative Dwayne Burns. And I'm State Representative Trent Ashby. We're here to ask you to vote for Proposition 1 and Proposition 8. I wrote Prop 1 to protect your right to farm and ranch. It will prevent the abuse of regulatory power, protect the backbone of our rural economy, and ensure safe and affordable food for all Texans. And I wrote Proposition 8, which will create the Broadband Infrastructure Fund 
to address important upgrades for public safety and provide resources for broadband access in rural hospitals and schools. Let's head to the polls November 7th and vote for Prop 1 and Prop 8. Political advertising paid for by Texas Farm Bureau and Texas Broadband Now PAC. Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex traded lower on Thursday due to a lack of activity in cash cattle trade and uncertainty as traders await the cattle on feed report, which we're expecting to be released on Friday. October live cattle down a dollar thirty-two to one eighty-four forty. December live cattle down a dollar ninety to one eighty-five thirty. February live cattle down two dollars and twelve cents to one eighty-eight ninety-five. October feeder cattle down three dollars and fifty-five cents to two forty-three fifty-seven. November feeder cattle down five dollars and twenty-two cents to 244.50. January feeder cattle down $5.52 to 245.37. Box beef was lower Thursday, choice down $2.03 to 301.83. Select down $1.40 to 276.95. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Gary Butler, my guest, Nixon Livestock Sales Member Monday. Gary, how was this last Monday sale? Had a good sale, Larry. Uh, end up with 11, 14, uh, 154 cows and 11 bulls. Uh, calf market still con- con- contains to be strong. Uh, cattle just, uh, they're not getting any higher, but they're, they're holding uh, their own uh, two, uh, two and three weight steers, 244 to 330 heifers, 217 to 310. Three and four weight steers, 243 to 340 heifers, 241 to 330, four and five weight steers, $1.31 to 315 heifers, 217 to 360, five and six weight steers, 221 to 283 heifers, 202 to 247, six and seven weight steers, 204 to 257 weight steers in bull yearlings, $1.97 to 221 in the heifers, $1.85 to 211. Uh, slaughter cows, the best slaughter cow brings 60, uh, 96, excuse me. Uh, slaughter bulls, $1.06. Stocker cows, 650 to $1,100. And we had a few pairs bring 1100 to 1200 there. Do you know of anything for this next Monday? <clears throat> I don't know of anything coming right offhand uh, this week. Uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, that round at 1000 1100 again. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Gary Butler. You can catch us here at Selborne, 830-582-1561 or 62 on my mobile, 830-857-4330, Larry. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble. This is Walking the Pens from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. My guest today in the alley, Gary Butler. Spillover pressure from the cattle complex impacted lean hog trade Thursday. December lean hogs down two cents to 68. February lean hogs up two cents to 72.32. Block cheese rose 5.25 cents to $1.81. Barrel cheese up 1.75 cents to $1.70. Driveway rose a quarter of a cent to 38.75 cents. October class three milk up seven cents to 16.90 a hundred weight. 
November class three milk up two cents to eighteen fifty six a hundred weight. December cotton rose three points Thursday to eighty four twenty seven. March cotton down seven points to eighty six eighteen. May cotton down thirteen points to eighty seven twenty eight. Corn traded higher Thursday due to concerns with weather in South America and how that may impact the crop and movement of their crop. December corn up 13 to 505, March corn up 10 and a half to 517, May corn up 9 and a half to 524. December hard red wheat up 5 and 3 quarters to 676 and a quarter, March hard red wheat up 5 and a half to 684 and a half, May hard red wheat up 5 and a quarter to 689 and 3 quarters. November natural gas fell 8 cents Thursday to 296, December natural gas fell 12 cents to 333. Crude oil traded higher on Thursday as the U.S. eased sanctions on Venezuela. November crude oil up $1.73 to 90.05. December crude oil up $1.66 to 88.93 a barrel. According to Reuters, traders remain nervous about the conflict in the Middle East. And that is impacting oil trade. The Dow fell 241 points to 33,423. The S&P 500 fell 34 points to 4,279. And the Nasdaq fell 117 points to 13,196. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets. And that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. We hope you join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.